I want to make it clear that as we look at justification, we often think, well, that's, that's an act of God. We see that. But sanctification is the same. God is still the primary actor. He is still the one working within us, and it's all to the praise of his glory. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So just to the left in your Bible, a couple, couple of books, you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It's a verse that we go to often, but it hit me as I was thinking about God being the sanctifier as well as the justifier, uh, that this, this verse here, chapter 3 and verse 18, is talking all about sanctification. <clears throat> and he says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This is what God does, as he transforms us into the same image, into the image of Jesus, and he does this one degree at a time, inch by inch, step by step in the process of sanctification. It's kind of like watching our kids grow up before us, right? Like we don't necessarily see day to day, week to week that they're growing, but we wake up and it's 18 years later and we're like, holy smokes, I need to stand up tall just to be taller than them, right? That's what happens in the process of sanctification is that he's changing us inch by inch. But the thing that jumped out to me, especially this week, was the last line of that verse, the last line of the chapter, for this, this transforming work, comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So God doesn't justify us and then tell us to go sanctify ourselves. He is active, in fact, the primary active agent in our sanctification. <clears throat> so the question then is, how does God do this? How is he changing us from one degree of glory to another? And that's where we land in chapter 4 in Ephesians. Where we come to this text in verse 22 of the putting off, renewing our minds, and putting on. So Ephesians 4, starting in verse 22, Paul writes, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So like I said last week, what we're going to do this week and Lord willing next week is we're going to take a couple of examples. So Paul gives us this and then starting in verse 25, he gives us all of these commands and they're, they're structured as put this off and then instead put this on. So we're going to pick up two verses today, verse uh, 29 from chapter 4 and then verse five, uh, 4 from chapter 5. So I'm going to read those to uh, get them fresh in our minds and then we'll pray together, and then we'll dive in to the text. So Ephesians 4 and verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, so that it may give grace to those who hear. And then chapter 5 and verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Father, as we come to your word now, Lord, we pray that you would, uh, number one, set the worries and the concerns of the world that so easily distract us. Father, we ask that your spirit would help us to set those aside now and to take just these few moments to allow your word to wash over us, for us to consider why this is such an important area that you give us these commands to be done with corrupt talk and crude joking and to put on the building up of the body and the building up of one another. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be moving amongst us, that 
you would be planting these words deep into our hearts and that you would be changing us from one degree of glory to another and that all of this process would be to the praise and glory of your name alone. That's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're just going to pick this up and look at these verses as God has charged us to of putting off, renewing our minds, and putting on. So the first thing that we do is to put off. In order to put off, we have to identify and define what God wants us to take off, what he wants to get out of our lives. We talked about last week that it's to mortify. This isn't just to set aside, but to kill, to cast away, to not have any part of. So the first thing we see in verse 29, chapter 4, Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. So this word corrupt, the NAS, NIV uses unwholesome. You can think of bad, rotten, decayed, worn out, of poor quality, unfit for use, worthless. So this this type of talk that's just dirty and it is unwholesome, it's not helpful at all, it's unfitting, that type of talk needs to be out of us. That's the old man and should have no part of the new man. So corrupting talk. And then chapter five and verse four, he gives us really four, uh, three things and then a description of those things. So uh, chapter five and four, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. So first filthiness, NIV says obscenity. So this is, this is just dirty language. This is, um, curse words and things that are just not appropriate. They, you, even when you hear them, when you've been walking with Christ for a while, you're like, ooh, like that just doesn't, it just bristles you. That's the filthiness that he talks about here. This should have no part in us, this obscene, this, this obscene talk, obscene language. And then foolishness is an interesting word. The NAS translates it silly. Uh, I would maybe encourage us to think about it as flippant, or without care or concern. It's the conversation that is just uh, inappropriate. It's, it's foolishness. It should just not even be among us. It's casual when we come to the things of God or not considering the things of God at all. For the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So foolishness should not be part of the new man. This we need to put off. And then crude or coarse joking or jesting. This is the vulgar, dirty locker room jokes, right? They should not even be uh, named among us. And he says this, um, these are out of place. They just don't fit with the new man. These old corrupt ways of talking, our language, they just should not even be. In fact, what he says, and I love the way he says it in verse three of chapter five, talking about sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. These should not even be heard of. Uh, This is what we are to cut off. So I wanna, before we get to some application, as we were praying as elders this morning, Clarence said, man, you're you're gonna meddle in our lives this morning as we look at this and we're gonna take some application and There might be some knives that are snuck in, hopefully by the Spirit and not by me. But before we do that, in this uh, space, I want to actually broaden, and I think Paul does this in the context, broaden the idea of corrupt talk. So we think, well, I don't do that. I don't have the locker room talk anymore. Uh, God's changed me of that, and praise God for it. But one way that we can identify what we're to put off is also to look at 
what we are to put on. And it's not always, and sometimes you'll see the, the thing that we put on or like, I don't understand exactly or at first glance how those fit, but oftentimes the thing that we're to put off is to be replaced with just the opposite. And so sometimes to understand what we're to put off, it's good for us to look at what we're to put on. So I just want to point out one thing here in verse 29 when he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. So we'll talk about this more uh, later in the message of what that exactly is. But anything that is not building up, the King James NAS uses the word edification, to edify. The opposite of that is any language or conversation or talk that tears down, that weakens, that hinders. This should not be named among us. And if we think about corrupt talk in this broader sense, then it opens up this laundry list of other things, which he actually lists in verse 31. Look at chapter 4 and verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And this certainly isn't an exhaustive list of those things. Like other places he would add gossip, and I would encourage us to think about gossip as corrupting talk. It's not building someone up. It's really tearing someone down. And we can see this connection if you flip over to Colossians chapter 3. Paul here in a parallel passage brings these two things together, this list of kind of the broader topics of corrupt talk, and he puts it in the same verse with obscene talk. So Colossians 3 and verse 8. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. That's the same corrupting talk from your mouth. Okay, so these are the things that we're supposed to be doing away with. So my question, first application question is, when and where are you encountering corrupt talk, crude joking, or just language in general that is tearing down rather than building up? Now there are a myriad of examples, and maybe something comes to mind uh, just off the top of your head, and I would encourage you if that came to mind, like think about that and ask the Spirit of God to awaken your heart what might need to change in that area. But I'm going to, by way of example, just give us four areas. And some of these may hit you right in between the eyes, and some of you, they might not hit you at all. Uh, but I would encourage you that all of us, in some ways, still, that old man is still hanging on. And we need to identify where these things are still holding on to us, and we need to cut them off and mortify them. So, first example, and this is easy, low hanging fruit that everybody agrees on, is our media. Our media intake, if it's music, if it's movies, if it's social media, certainly not everything's bad, and media in and of itself is not bad, but as we look at our culture, like, it is just dirty. Like, we will watch some of the movies that we watched when we were kids, and we're like, oh, this was fun, and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that I'm watching this with my 10-year-old daughter, and we shut it off, right? But this is, this is pervasive throughout our culture much of our music, many of our movies, and everywhere on social media, there is crude joking, there is corrupt talk, there's language that just should not even be part of our world. Now, some of you may, it may be coming to mind that on some of these platforms, pick social media, that every time you go to it, you just know it's going to be dirty it's going gonna, it's gonna to take you down this road. If that's you, just be done. Like, just shut it off. Shut off the account. Shut it down. Just be done with fill in the blank, whatever it is, Facebook or 
whatever the, what are the newest, the TikTok, who knows what these fancy new things are. But, they're, but I'm not saying that we need to do that across the board, but if that's, if like every time you open it up, it's just junk, just be done. Just shut it off. God would say, kill it, mortify it, be done with it. But maybe more, more sneaky in the back door is when we just have a steady diet of things that are corrupt, if maybe just, oh, it's just like watching a movie that has some curse words in it is not the end of the world. But if that's your steady diet every week, every night, that you're hearing over and over these things of the world, these corrupt talk, it will hinder your sanctification. It will slow down your progress toward becoming like Christ. And so my challenge, my question is, what measures might God have you take? Maybe it is completely cutting something off. Maybe it's just reevaluating how much time or when or what context you're spending time in media. And maybe he would have you change or limit or ask for accountability from someone else to change these things. So if corrupt talk, if um, crude joking is entering through your media intakes into your heart, uh, figure out what God would have you to do to change that. Second area, peers, peers and friends. So young people, especially, give me your eyes. This is, this is all of us, but for you young people, this is super important for you to hear this. Unfortunately, you and your peers are often among and in situations where there's inappropriately, inappropriately silly language, it's flippant, it's without care or concern for the weightier matters of life, and it's just plain foolish. Now, we are called, and I'm not, uh, there's certainly a balance here. You are not called to pull away from this completely. You are called to be salt and light amongst your friends. But if you have a friend or a friend group that every time you get together, it's just horrible, the language and the, like, you may need to, hopefully you can step into that and try and redeem that and say, hey, could we, like, turn the conversation to something meaningful? But it may be that you just have to really change your friend group. You may have to cut some relationships off if this is what you're dealing with. It will pull you down and it will hinder your sanctification. And hopefully it's not a completely cutting off. Um, hopefully you can lean into those relationships and turn them to the good. But this is just an area where we see it all the time, that we have certain groups, certain situations. So the same question, what measures would God have you take in this area of friends and of peer group to uh, change or to limit the amount of time or influence that those, uh, those friends are having over you. Okay, thirdly, and for three and four, I'm kind of broadening the talk from the dirty language to the broader bitter wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. Uh, so our th the third example that is unfortunate but is true is in our homes, in our families, if you are putting on a good show at work or at church, but your home is filled with harsh, unloving words, with bitter, angry, slanderous words, full of malice, I would even argue if there is a pattern of a silence treatment where I think it's, it's just tearing down by not using words, your sanctification is going to be hindered. And you need to ask God, how can this be changed? 
Consider conversations, consider confession, seek outside counsel if you need to. Don't let this bitterness take a root in your home. This will, maybe, maybe more than anything because it's so private, that you can look and play the part out in public, but behind closed doors at your home, uh, you are filled with corrupt talk, harsh talk, harsh words that do not build up, but tear down. And then fourth, uh, and this is a little cliche, but we've all experienced it at some level, or another, some level or another, is our small group prayer requests. If your small group prayer requests are a cover for corrupt talk, for gossip, slander, and malice, your small group is not going to be sanctified. So if that's the case, ask God, how would you have me change this group? Uh, maybe I need to be done with the group, or hopefully you can reform from within. So these are just four uh, I don't know if they're easy. They're painful examples for many of us, I'm sure, for me as well, as I consider uh, these areas that need to be sanctified, where there is corrupt talk that uh, either sneaks in periodically or is, it's just a cesspool of corrupt talk all the time. What would God have you change? And again, many, many more examples. So I'd encourage you to identify, to understand, and define what corrupt talk is, and then to consider where are these things happening in my day-to-day life, and what measures would God have me take to get rid of them. So that's the, that's the putting off. It's a lot. Like, there's heavy lifting in there, understanding, and then seeing in our lives where those things are so that we know what to be cutting out of our lives. But then the next step, and a super important step, is what Paul says in verse 20. 3 of chapter 4, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is essential in the ongoing sanctification work. The old self and the old way of thinking is to be being killed, it's to be being mortified and put off. The new self and the new way of thinking is to be developed and strengthened. We don't come to Christ and immediately know everything. We come to Christ as infants in him, and our thinking, our minds need to be transformed by him and built up. So how does God want to reshape our thinking about corrupt talk, about crude joking, or just talk in general that tears down rather than builds up? Where we in our flesh immediately go, often our default is what I would just call moralism, to improve the morals. We just want to do better. We recognize in our home that our our words are harsh and unloving. And so we say, okay, I want to be done with those. And I want to start using loving language. I want to start doing good. And this seems reasonable. This seems seems almost what God's asking us to do. Be done with this and be putting this on. But moralism is not what God is calling us to. I shared this quote last week, and I'll share it again because I think it's applicable here from Pastor Piper, talking about this process of sanctification, of God changing us from one degree of glory to another. Piper writes, transformation is not switching from the to-do list of the flesh to the to-do list of the law. When Paul replaces the list, the works of the flesh, he does not replace it with the works of the law but with the fruit of the Spirit. So moralism makes sense, and in fact, Paul could have done this very easily, but he doesn't teach it this way, although he could have. If you look at verse 25 
of Ephesians 4, right after our put-on verse, he starts with, having put away falsehood. So it would have been easy for Paul to say, put away falsehood, and for him to immediately go to the moral law. Ninth commandment, don't bear false witness. So don't lie, right? And, but Paul doesn't. He doesn't go to the moral law directly. He could have in verse 28. 28, he says, let the thief steal no longer. Insert commandment number eight, don't steal. God said not to steal. Even in our verse here, in verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. One of the most, and we know it, the most corrupt thing that happens in our culture is taking the Lord's name in vain. We see it in our day-to-day lives in the marketplace, all over our media feeds, the OMGs, the oh my God, the Jesus Christ taken in vain is the most corrupt language possible. And so Paul could have just said, third commandment, don't do this. This is corrupt talk. But why doesn't God just tell us to do better? Why doesn't he insert the moral law here? I think there, there's many reasons, I think, but I just want to touch on two. And first uh, is just experientially, we know that moralism doesn't work to create lasting change. It just doesn't work, right? We can it's getting harder and harder for us as our kids get bigger and bigger, but we can conform our children to a standard of morals for a time and maybe some of the time and for a season, but we all know that we as our own, our, when we were children or in our peer groups growing up, we all know the kid, and it was probably most of us, that had the good and appropriate language at grandma's house but was full of trash on the playground, right? The moralism can be applied and can kind of cover over and deal with the outward facade of things, but it doesn't change the heart. It's the same thing in the home. We can use harsh words in our home that we would never dream of using in the church or even in the marketplace, and we do that. We you know, get short with our kids. We become angry uh, and use these harsh words, and we come to the end of that and we were like, oh, I sinned again and we just try harder and yet we're unsuccessful. Again and again, it comes back that moralism doesn't work. Just trying harder to, to put off and to put on don't work. But secondly, so one, moralism doesn't work just ex- experientially. We see that it doesn't. But secondly, and probably much more importantly, if moralism did work to change behavior, that would be to the glory of man. I did this, right? I overcame my anger. I overcame these bad words that were in me, and I did it. But this answer is taking the glory that isn't due us. If it did work, it would be to the glory of man, but it doesn't. So if the answer isn't moralism, how does God reshape our thinking about language? And this is all in this, right? So as I'm preparing the message, I'm thinking about how is God really changing us from the inside out, from one degree of glory to another? And it took me down this road that I'm, I'm going to start here and I'm going to end up over here. And you really need to be with me at each step of the way. So hang with me because we're going to two metaphors that Jesus uses and we're going to tie them together to see what the Bible gives to us, what God has given us that will really change us, okay? So the first is to identify the problem. If you look uh, at Luke chapter 6, let's go to the left of your Bible, your Matthew, Mark, Luke, 
Luke and chapter 6. Familiar passage to many of us about the metaphor is about trees and fruit. Again, hang with me. You're going to think I'm out in left field, but I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will tie these things together and it will make sense where we're going once we get there. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse, uh, verse 43. Verse 43 and 44. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bush. So what Jesus is saying here is that you have, if you have a good tree, you have good fruit. If you have bad tree, you have bad fruit. But the bad fruit is not the problem, right? We often, and this is what moralism does. It says, okay, this is the problem. Let's deal with the fruit. But the fruit isn't the problem. The fruit is the output of the deeper problem. There's something going on in the roots of that tree that is producing bad fruit. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he goes on and takes this metaphor further in verse 45, and he applies it to the heart of man. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. So here's the, for the, the uh, folks in logic here. This is the syllogism that, God, that Jesus is giving us here. If you have bad fruit, then you have a bad tree. You have bad fruit, therefore... It's the tree that's bad, not the fruit. If you have bad fruit, it's because you have a bad tree. You have bad fruit, therefore the tree is bad. The same thing when we come to corrupt speech and language. If you have corrupt speech, then you have a corrupt and evil heart, Jesus is saying. We have corrupt speech, therefore we have a corrupt heart. What Jesus is doing is he's getting beyond the high level that moralism tries to deal with, and he's going to the heart of the matter. And you see that in the very famous line in the last part of that verse 45, where we, many of us know this, but this is connecting then to our uh, verses from Ephesians. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The words are not the problem. The problem is the heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the corrupt language that comes out, we can try and stop our children from saying it. We can try and stop ourselves from saying it. But if we don't deal with the root of the problem, if we don't deal with the heart, then it will never change. And that is just moralism. Moralism will never change our hearts. We can't give moral direction to a tree. We can't tell the bad tree, just produce good fruit. It's not possible. And we can't give moral direction to an evil heart. You can't tell an evil heart, just produce good fruit. But there's a different solution. So how does the Bible say that the heart is changed? Okay, hopefully you're with me so far. So I'm about right here. So we're going, remember, we're going over here. <clears throat> so the second metaphor is in John chapter 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and chapter 7. So the question is, how, does, how do we change the heart? If the heart's the issue, what does the Bible tell us will actually change the heart so that the fruit of the heart is no longer corrupt language, but the fruit of the heart is the fruit of the Spirit? 
So John chapter 7, starting in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. So picture lots of people around. Jesus is thundering uh, from probably not the pulpit, but he's uh, crying out. And he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So this invitation might hearken you back to the woman at the well. If you flip back just two pages, three pages to John chapter 4. The context here, Jesus comes with his disciples to a well in Samaria, meets a woman of Samaria and says, give me a drink. And the woman says, why are you, a Jew, male Jew, talking to me, a female Samaritan? And Jesus answered her in verse 10. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living waters. So the, the Samaritan woman asks the right question of how in the world are you going to get living waters? You're out here, and you don't have a well, and you don't have a bucket. What are you talking about? If you go back to John 7, Jesus tells us how we get this living waters. John 7 and verse 38. So verse 37, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me, Jesus says, and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters. How do we get these streams of living waters is by coming to faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, out of him will flow these living waters. So she was asking the right question of how are you going to get these, this living water, but Jesus is talking about a much deeper spiritual thing. So then the question is what exactly is the, what is this living water that he speaks of? And he gives us the answer in the next verse. So John chapter seven, verse 39. Now this Jesus said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So do you see where we're going? We're almost there. If you pull all of these things together, the problem of our corrupt language is an unperfected heart. It is a heart that is still hanging on to the old self. And the fruit of that heart is the corrupt talk that comes out of our mouths. The solution is not to try and do better. It won't work. The solution is to come to Jesus, to drink, to believe in the gospel. And what happens when we believe in the gospel is that we receive a brand new heart. And we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, the living water And then out of that heart, out of that new heart, flows the fruit of the Spirit. Does that make sense? Did I get you there? Everybody following me? Like, the problem isn't the fruit. The problem is our hearts. And God has given us a solution in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Coming, living a perfect life, dying, and rising again. And simply by believing in him, he gives us a new heart that then will produce the fruit of the Spirit. 
If we don't go through all of those steps, we're just trying to put a Band-Aid on this dirty, rotten fruit of corrupt language. Okay, so having identified and defined what we're to put off, and now taking time to renew our minds and to dig into the scriptures and see what really is God getting at here, now it's time to consider what we're to put on. It's not enough just to put off. We can try and put off, but if we don't renew our minds and put on the person and work of Jesus Christ, it will just resurface. If we don't come to Jesus in repentance and faith, if we're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and then allow the Spirit to put on these new things, um, we will not see the transformation that God wants of us. So, what are we to put on? Or maybe better stated is, what will the Spirit then produce in the new man? Once we've put off, once we've renewed our mind and come to Jesus, believing him by faith, then what will replace the corrupt talk? So back in Ephesians chapter 4, we see this. A number of things will replace it. Some of them uh, make sense right off the bat. Some of them, you scratch your head a little bit and think, huh, interesting. I wonder what he means there. We don't have time to dive into all of the depths as much as we might uh, like to, but let's just look at them to see what the fruit of the Spirit will create among us. So Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, let no corrupt, corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So three things that we see there. Number one is that, and we mentioned this on the front side, this new fruit of the Spirit will be language that builds up rather than tears down. It will be what edifies and constructs and strengthens and develops rather than deteriorating and tearing away. So this new language will be, will be that. It will also fit the occasion. It will be according to the need, he says, uh, as it fits the occasion. And this is um, in direct contrast to what he used in chapter 5 and verse 4 when he said, which these are out of place. So these filthy talk, dirty language, these are out of place. But the new fruit of the Spirit, these are fitting. These are right. These are good. Uh, they bring about the desired result of edification. And then third, the fruit of the Spirit that we see that we are to put, be putting on or see that is being put, in on, put on in our hearts at the end of verse 29, that it may give grace to those who hear. Who does not want to be a man or a woman that brings gracious words where we talk to them and they say, man, I was so blessed by talking to this person or that person. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Words that don't tear down but bring grace and minister grace to the hearers. And then finally, the, uh, what we are to put on at the end of verse 4 of chapter 5, an interesting one, right? So says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, this is what we're to put on, thanksgiving. It's interesting, right? He doesn't tell us to put on good language, or, uh, but he tells us to put on thanksgiving. As I thought about that, uh, when we understand the gospel, and when we understand what God has done, what he has saved us from, and what he has saved us to, there will be no room for corrupt talk and crude joking, for our hearts will be filled 
with thanksgiving. So this is what is to replace the corrupt talk, is we are just overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit pouring out of us of our thanksgiving to God. Okay, Uh, just a couple of points of application, some of which we've talked about in the putting off section, but maybe some conversation for the lunch table this afternoon. When and where are you encountering corrupt talk, crude joking, and language that generally tears down rather than builds up? Like, really think about it. Where are these things sneaking in, or where is it just blatant that I know that I need to get rid of? So talk about it with your family. Talk about it with your roommate. Talk about it with your parents. Um, And don't, don't try and hide this. This is another thing that we do, and we do this all the time with sin. We try and hide it. Like, ah, it's not that bad. My Facebook feed, my YouTube, Twitter, something or other, isn't that horrible? Uh, Be real honest about it. Do you see yourself going down this path of every time that you're in it, you're just in filth and dirtiness? Confess that to the Lord. Confess that to another brother or sister and ask that God would change your heart. Are you allowing corrupt talk and crude joking just to be a regular part of your diet? Maybe there isn't just a cesspool that you hang out with hang out in, but maybe it's just, yeah, every week or every so often I'm going to this place and every time I go there, I know that I'm filled with this corrupt talk. What would God have you change? What measures would God have you take after you identify these areas to put away and to cast off, to mortify? And then I would encourage all of us to fight our default position of moralism. It's just where we go. We try and do better, and we want to, and it's good, and it's somewhat of a God-given thing that we want to do things. It's like we know that it's wrong and it's dirty, and we want to do better, but fight the tendency to just try and do better. It won't work, and you're looking for glory rather than to glorify God, and it's not what God's calling us to do. God is calling us to repent, to come to Jesus, believing in him, finding rest for our souls in him and him alone, and then to be filled with the living waters of his Holy Spirit. So may we be people filled with the Holy Spirit that replaces our corrupt talk and our crude language with powerful, loving, grace-giving words filled with thanksgiving. Okay, next week, I think, we'll see. Uh, I think we're gonna be in verse 28 of chapter 4. Let no let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I would encourage you this week to think about that. Go through this process of okay, let's look at the verse. Let's look at the words. What do they mean? What are we to be putting off? Think about how would God renew our minds in this area of work and of giving? And then what would God have us put on? You may do that exercise, and it may go someplace else next week, but it'd be a good exercise anyway. So um, let me pray to close, and then we will sing a few songs to close our time together. Uh, Gracious and Holy Father, Lord, we are so thankful for the grace that you have extended to us in Jesus. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that is convicted because of their language. Lord, I pray that you would give them an extreme measure of your grace, that you would pour 
into them your Holy Spirit, that they would not trust in themselves, that they would not try to work harder themselves, but that they would come to you, Jesus, and find rest for their souls. And then, Lord, I pray for each one of us that you would continue to transform us. We know that this is your will for you. Tell us it is the will, your will to sanctify us, to change us. Lord, help us each to identify areas where our language is not good, where we're letting things in that just should not even be named among us. Give us strength by the power of your spirit to put these things off, to renew our minds in your word, to be in prayer and meditation and fellowship with others that we might see the fruit of the Spirit being put onto our hearts and our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen.